Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah with Dr. Daniel Kanema and Dr. Jacinta Del Hayes. Each episode, we'll be giving you a behind-the-scenes look at world-class astronomy and astrophysics happening under African skies. Let us introduce you to the people involved, the technology we use, the exciting work we do, and the fascinating discoveries we make. Sit back and relax as we take you on a safari through the skies. Welcome back, everyone. Yeah, season two, episode 14. We made it back into the studio. We did. I've forgotten how to do this. Me too. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, um, before we start this episode, uh, we have a small request for you, our listeners. Uh, If you enjoy this podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a a review in iTunes. That'll really help us reach other listeners who might also be interested. Thank you. Okay, on with the episode. Yeah. Well, I guess we will start by telling you what we've been doing during our break, during our hiatus. A break from the podcast, but not from work. No, a lot of work. That's why we took the break. Although we did do some travel. We did do some pretty awesome travel. Yeah. All right, Dan. So tell us, what have you been up to? Uh, What have I been up to? Well, we'll talk a little bit more uh, about our trip to Kruger. Uh, We both went to a conference there uh, and we'll have some interviews from that. But I also took a trip to Europe. I visited uh, Italy and I spent some time in Rome and at the Vatican Observatory. And we'll have more on that in a later episode. And yourself? So, well, I went all over the place. Um, I also went to Europe uh, after our Kruger conference. I went to the University of Oxford, where I was working with members of the Mighty team. And we're going to hear all about Mighty today. It's one of the um, the Meerkat survey projects. So it's a big, uh, it's a big galaxy evolution survey with Meerkat. Do you know what it stands for? Ooh, um, okay, let, let, me, let me try. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the... Meerkat Intergalactic... Oh, yeah, 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 right. I... Wait, 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 I do know. The Meerkat International Gigahertz Tiered Extragalactic Exploration. Boom. <laughs> I hope it's right. I hope it's right, too. Um, yes. Okay. So I was working with members of Mighty and we were sort of having a little mini, um, what do you call it? Workshop? Busy week. Busy week? Yeah. Like a busy week where we all sit together and we work on the data and we get everything started. And that was really useful because the following week was the, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but MIAP, M-I-A-P-P, uh, Center of Excellence conference or meeting in Munich in Germany. So that was altogether a four-week workshop where um, all experts, uh, all of the world's experts in neutral hydrogen gas studies were there and uh, talking about science and working together and collaborating. So I attended that and it was actually really useful. I wasn't quite sure before I went how useful it was going to be. I was there for two weeks, but actually it was a really good format because we we could have some talks in the morning so we knew what each other were working on and then we had the whole afternoon free to just work together uh, and collaborate and that was extremely useful for me. So I got a lot of work done. I got, I got a lot of um, projects started and, yeah, that's what I'm working on now. Yeah, those busy weeks are wonderful for sort of focusing on something getting a break from all of the administration and day-to-day stuff. Yeah, I guess it's just getting away from your desk and as great as it is, people asking you to do things and other, you know, departmental chores and and just focusing on on that pure research for two weeks. Yeah, it was really good. 
and then uh, came on home. Lovely. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> Kruger? Yeah. So today's episode is actually about the first part of our trip, which is where we went to the Kruger National Park in South Africa. And, uh, well, Dan, you were running a conference there. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I organized a conference with my uh, previous supervisor, Ramil Dave, who we had previously on the show. Yeah. Episode eight. Uh, well remembered. <laughs> and so we organized a, a kind of workshop too uh, with some talks. And basically bringing a whole lot of people together from two different fields. So the simulation field, which uh, is my field, in terms of working on the theory and creating galaxies. And and then the observational field. Which so, is my field. Ah. <laughs> so, which is why we both attended. Mm -hmm. So we brought together these two different fields and we spent a week trying to talk about how we could best work together. So how the observations could help inform the simulations and vice versa. Uh, and how we can do better simulations and, and try and reach out to the observers and try and produce the things that we can easily compare. It's not an easy task. No. Do you think we made some progress during the conference? I think so. I think there were some interesting discussions and some potential project ideas which came out of it. There were definitely some collaborations formed. It's always good to meet some people you haven't met before who are working in a similar field and similar problems. And just having those connections, somebody you can email when you have an idea, uh, when you want to do something, you know who the expert is that you can email. Yeah, I guess that's that's actually one of the most important parts of having a conference. It's sort of why we have them. I spoke about the uh, the Mighty survey that I mentioned earlier, and in particular, I'm looking at the data, and there's a particular galaxy I found, or that we found, that's really interesting, um, but I don't think I'm allowed to talk more about it yet. <laughs> When is it getting published? Uh, when I publish it. <laughs> <laughs> Back to work. Don't ask that question. <laughs> and what, what do you think was the most important thing that we talked about? I think talking about the future, I think that um, a couple of people, Ramil and others, uh, Professor Jarvis, who was there, Matt Jarvis, there was a lot of talk about what's going to happen now that Meerkat is running and the SK is on the way. For the last 10 years or so, there's been a lot of these sorts of workshops talking about how we can best work together. But now we really are getting data. Meerkat's been running for over a year. There's a lot of data coming through, you know, observations such as yours. And we're learning a lot. It's a it's the most powerful radio telescope. We're discovering things we've never discovered before. And there really is a real opportunity to try and learn something which can then inform simulations. And push the simulations to try and do better, to try and explain some of the things which we are observing. So I think that it's a, a pretty golden time. And I think that uh, the excitement for this and for the future was was wonderful to see. Yeah, I guess Matt and I were the only two who had actual meerkat data to, to show. And I didn't realize that until I got there. So actually, it was quite an exciting role for me to play is Hi, simulators. I don't know any of the words you're using, but here is what the data looks like. So let's try and do something together. Yeah, and the simulators are like, whoa, <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> okay, let me go back to my computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, well, we spoke to Ramil. Uh, again, when we were at the conference, and he explained why we were running this and from his point of view. So shall we have a listen to what he has to say? Yeah, great.
So we're here at the Protea Hotel on the outskirts of the Kruger Safari Park. Uh, and we're here. Why are we here, Dan? Uh, to do work. Are we? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're here for a conference, uh, the Modeling Meerkats Conference. Uh, and we're talking about uh, meerkat observations and simulations and how we can merge the two. And with us, we have the organizer of the conference. Well, Dan is one of the organizers. <laughs> and we have the, we have the other one. And you might recognize him from uh, episode eight. It's uh, Professor Ramil Dave. Welcome, Ramil. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's me again. <laughs> so, Ramil, uh, what, why are we here and what are we doing? And why did you create this conference? So, as uh, hopefully many of you know, the Meerkat Telescope is now online. It's the uh, largest uh, science project ever done in South Africa. And the Meerkat Telescope is, of course, a radio telescope. It's going to open up new windows into our view of the universe. And one of the things that we'd like to be able to do is to take all that data and understand uh, the physics of the objects out in the sky, the stars, galaxies, all the crazy things that are happening, uh, the, the pulsars, the... Um, the black holes, all these sorts of things. And these are all going to be probed in the, in the radio using Meerkat. Now, at the same time, what we'd like to do is provide a context for all this stuff, that we're, all this data that we're going to have. We're going to, we'd like to assemble it into a coherent picture of how it is these objects formed. Where do these big, giant black holes at the centers of galaxies come from? How do uh, supernovae and you know, shocks... Uh, heat up the gas and create this synchrotron emission that we can see as as radio observations and this is the job of us simulators right this is what we do as as modelers we try to take uh, uh, numerical simulations starting with the condition shortly after the big bang and produce the kind of objects that we're seeing uh, in the real universe and because now we have this new window on what the various phenomena are through the radio tel telescopes like Meerkat, uh, we'd like to be able to incorporate that information and inform our models of the universe and how things, how the universe evolved and how we came to be. Why do we have these conferences and, and who, who comes? I mean, like, who do we have here? So we have about uh, 25 people in this uh, particular meeting, and this is a relatively small group. But it's a very focused group of people who work particularly. Uh, so these are scientists, everyone from, uh, we, I think we have a, a MSc student all the way up to, you know, somewhat senior professors. And we're essentially trying to build a community who will be able to use models and observations together to try to understand uh, the underlying physics of, of the things that's going on. And so uh, I think these are, we have both a lot of simulators uh, from South Africa as well as uh, from various other places around the world. We have observers, uh, people who are going to be using Meerkat but who are interested in talking to the simulators to, to try to, and the modelers to try to understand you know, how their data can be better used or better um, situated within the, the overall uh, uh, picture of how we have of how galaxies form. So. These are the, the kind of people that we're, we're trying to build a, a fledgling community here. Now that the data is kind of starting to come in, we want to have a community here in South Africa that's, that's also doing these sorts of things and synthesizing this information into a, a sort of the, the overall grand picture, basically. And hopefully we get some sort of firm collaborations forming out of this. That's the idea. I mean, ideally, what I would like to have coming out of this meeting would be uh, several definitive projects on um, on the various ways that we can use simulations to help with particularly the so-called meerkat large survey projects so the large survey projects are 
a set of uh, essentially things that were competitively decided to be occupying the majority of Meerkat's time in his first five years were doing these sort of mega projects that would be very influential and very high profile to sort of set the Meerkat apart as this fantastic new radio telescope here in South Africa that's doing all these amazing things. So we, again, we want to have, you know, a modeling component to those large survey projects that then allows us to, to interpret that data better and to do more stuff here in South Africa uh, rather than, you know, just simply exporting the data and letting other people sort of take advantage of, of all the great things that we're doing down here. Yeah, well, thanks very much to both of you for organising this. As an observer, it's a, it's a bit of a steep learning curve to be at my first simulations conference, but I think it's definitely worthwhile because it's uh, really important for us to bring simulations and observations together. So thanks very much. And I guess our session's starting now, so we better head back in. Thanks, to work. <laughs> thanks, to work. thanks Jacinta. So... Dan, what I got out of the meeting was actually realising that it's not easy to compare observations and simulations. Somehow I thought that, you know, the the output of the simulation would just be, you know, you get the output and then you directly compare it to an observation, but that's not actually, actually how it works. No, it really isn't. Uh, so the simulations certainly don't have the same resolution as real life. Uh, we don't resolve individual atoms. Which makes us very it makes it very hard to compare exactly. How dare uh, you not resolve individual atoms? <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Um, and the same goes for photons, right? We don't uh, we don't resolve all of the physics that goes into light. Um, so we don't we don't include the path the light's taken, how what it's interacted with on the way. Uh, so to try and compare it to an observation, which is this complex thing, a photon of light has travelled for billions of uh, billions of light years and encountered a lot of different things along the way and changed. Uh, to try and account for that in a simulation is very, very difficult. So we have to make approximations and then try and uh, reduce the observations to uh, something we can compare, some sort of measurable which we can compare to a simulation where we have that measurable also. So, you know, we can do masses quite easily using the observations and the simulations but to try and do more complex things mm. is is difficult yeah and i guess you're simulating kind of fundamental properties like masses and we can't directly measure a mass we can directly measure the amount of light that comes out and the rotation properties of objects in the galaxies and then from that we have to estimate the masses yeah so yeah it's sort of it's comparing the same thing but with a an extra level of of translation or calculation on top of that, I yeah, guess. It's, it's like you're looking from the outside and we're looking from the inside. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, that's a great way to, mm. to describe it. I also spoke to Professor Leratori Liu at the conference um, and he was telling me about the dust component of galaxies and how he's interested in looking at, at how to include dust into simulations because dust is really easy for us to observe. Sometimes it's even annoying, <laughs> but uh, but it's actually quite difficult to put into the simulation. He's interested to see kind of what impact that would have and that might help us to compare the simulations and the observations because what you get out of a simulation of stars, for example, may not be 
what we're going to see because we're going to see stars blocked by dust. And so if you can put the dust into the simulation, then you can see how the dust blocks the star, the simulated starlight, how it reddens it, how it scatters it, and then maybe it'll be easier to compare to observations. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So let's hear what Laratotti had to say on the topic. I'm here at the Modelling Meerkats conference in the Kruger National Park, and I'm here with Professor Leratodi Leu. Welcome, Leratodi. Hello, thank you. Can you tell us who you are, uh, where you're from, and, and what you do? I'm Leratodi Leu, and I work for the University of South Africa as an astronomer. I started my career observing uh, dust in galaxies. And in, at this particular meeting, I'm here because I started this working in this new area, which is the interface really between observations and modeling. So we've talked before on this podcast about simulations and we've talked about observations. So you're starting to work at the interface of the two of those, where those two come together. Why is that? Why is that important? Uh, it's really important because in both observations and simulations, people tend to work on what's easiest first and, you know, what will make uh, impact for them fastest, right? This is like this concept of the low-hanging fruit everybody usually goes for. But what is easy in simulations is not necessarily what's easy in observations and the intersection of these low-hanging fruits for the two communities is not always the same. And so I think being able to actually find out how these two groups can find synergies is uh, important. Okay, so, so tell us more about your particular research. What are you doing? So I mentioned dust. Dust is actually something familiar to a lot of us because observationally it's one of these low-hanging fruit in terms of its impact. And an example of this is the Milky Way. If you are in an area that has really, really dark skies where you can see the Milky Way in its beauty, you will notice that amongst the Milky Way, this path of stars, there are dark patches. And uh, where these dark patches uh, are is actually where the dust obscures stellar light from the Milky Way. Because the Milky Way itself is this, this galaxies, so this path the Milky Way should be all just a concentration of stars. In reality, when we look at it, we don't just find this big concentration, we find these dark patches. And this is the cosmic dust that I work on, and it's actually apparent to the naked eye itself. However, physically, understanding the properties of this dust isn't so easy because its composition, its nature is quite different from that of the stars. And so observationally, it is a uh, simple thing that can be picked up, but it's also this thing that has a huge impact on stellar light, right? You know, it will block it out or absorb it uh, or even uh, scatter it. Now, modeling, uh, a lot of the simulations will leave the dust part out in their work because it's a harder thing to simulate. So this has uh, taken my interest now as in, you know, join the community working in this interface, particularly the community trying to solve that particular problem where we try and introduce the effects of the dust into the simulations and and then produce these uh, mock images of the simulations that can be compared with the observations better. 
Okay, so when we make a simulation of the universe of galaxies, we have to put a lot of different ingredients into the recipe that we use to make the galaxy. So you're saying that stars are already one of the ingredients, and now we're trying to work to put an extra ingredient, which is dust, in. Is that correct? Yes, uh, that is exactly correct. Okay, so uh, now you mentioned that dust uh, blocks the starlight uh, so that we can't see it, but what other role does it play in a galaxy? Why is it so important for us to include this into the simulations? Well, it turns out that dust is also responsible for the formation of the stars themselves. So there's quite a, a big role there. And indeed, I mentioned at the beginning the dust in the Milky Way, where you see those patches is actually where new stars would be forming. So indeed, dust is a really, really critical aspect in the evolution of galaxies in this way. It turns out that the stars themselves also refine the dust to more evolved material. Uh, so you probably heard of you know, the phrase, we are made uh, from by the stars or from dust. Dust also has this big fundamental aspect in terms of the evolution. And in this case, I'm just talking about solving the problem of the effect of dust on stellar light in these simulations or work. Yeah, so, I mean, making these simulations is super complicated because what are we trying to do? We're trying to recreate the universe with all of its complex aspects and components which is just insane it's and it's amazing that our simulations can even reproduce some of the things that we observe in the universe not all but but some and, and quite a good good part of it so so the reason the simulations work is because the vast majority of our universe is actually stuff we can't see dark energy dark matter and we think we've got that pretty much right right enough that we can reproduce galaxies. And so even though we're trying to go to more and more complicated um, stages where we're including baryonic matter, meaning stuff like stars, gas, and, and in the future dust, it almost doesn't matter on the larger scales to, to study the bulk of the physics. It matters when we're trying to reproduce more complicated, higher level stuff. But as you said, we, we've done the, we've we've picked the low hanging fruit first, the the easiest things to reproduce and the most important things to reproduce. Would that be an accurate uh, summary? Yeah, that's an accurate summary. So, for example, where the simulations are having trouble is in what we call morphology of galaxies or basically how galaxies look when we observe them like that means things like those spiral arms and this thing i call patches of dust exactly how you know you see it in the milky way how it should appear in all these different galaxies so when you start to go to such details this is where you know simulations don't work well at the moment uh, and that's where the kind of work i'm talking about comes in if you start to really want to look at those finer details then you really need to be doing this yeah i think this work is is really important unfortunately we don't have more time to discuss it because our session is about to start and we mustn't miss it but uh, is there any last messages you'd like to share with our listeners uh, just that it's good actually to try these different aspects of uh, of research and i mean it's been great uh, for me to do something uh, i haven't done at all before in the in my uh, career as, as an astronomer so uh, it's just nice that actually one can involve in this way even in their own career and i like that and uh, i encourage everyone as well to look at how you know they can evolve in their own lives or careers that's really wonderful thank you so much for speaking with us today Leratori. 
thank you and thanks for having me So Dan, what is it about the dust that makes it difficult to put it in the simulations? So generally the the dust is a a result of star formation, uh dying stars, it's sort of getting distributed throughout the galaxy. Uh but it's in a it's essentially a, a gas. So it's a, a very small particles spread throughout the galaxy, certainly not resolved with our simulations. But also we don't really know the strength that stars blow out winds uh that supernova blowout winds and how far this this dust should be traveling how much of it is formed in terms of a simulation it's really hard to try and reproduce what's observed in terms of the amount of dust you see so uh, as Leratori said like the milky way is beautiful especially on a very dark night um if you look at the the center you can see the dust which is blocking the stars at the center of the galaxy you can see it with your own eyes to reproduce that uh in a simulation is incredibly complex the 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 amount of detail that is in that dust and all the sort of turbulence and things going on there are are essentially impossible to reproduce whereas again um in an observation it's there right it's it's there all the time you can't avoid it it blocks some of the stars you have to deal with it your photons are passing through it or getting blocked by it so to try and compare a simulation which is fairly clean in terms of that to an observation which is full of dust it it's really quite tricky yeah absolutely it sounds very complicated <laughs> we also had the opportunity to catch up with Nicole Thomas again uh, who we've previously spoken to when she was in Edinburgh we spoke to her over Skype but now we got to speak to her in person because she is still working with Ramil Dave and was visiting for uh, the conference uh, after Uh, an exciting trip which we'll ask her about. Yeah, Nicole was in episode 9. I looked that up in advance. Ah, ah. <laughs> It's like almost like you have them written down. <laughs> I would never. Uh let's hear from Nicole. Okay, so the conference has just finished, the modeling meerkats. How did you find it, Dan? Yeah, fun. It was great. I think it went really, really well, and I think everyone uh enjoyed it and hopefully we're going to have some cool projects coming out of it. Yeah, and uh we have uh one of the attendees here with us and you may recognize her. We've got Nicole Thomas back. Uh welcome Nicole. Hi, thank you again for having me. Again. <laughs> <laughs> So we spoke to Nicole in episode 9 and uh she's been off on several adventures around the world since then. So Nicole tells where you've been. Uh well, so I've been in Edinburgh for the last about 5 months, which is where you interviewed me from via Skype the last time on episode 9. Um I then attended the Lindal Nobel laureate meeting in Munich in Well, it was at the end of June to early July, uh, where we got to meet with about 600 young scientists got to meet about 40 Nobel laureates in physics, uh, where we learned about the research they did and the research we do as young scientists uh, in hopes of networking and collaborating. And now I'm back in Cape Town. I arrived a few days ago, uh, so I'm very happy to be back. Well, we're not in Cape Town yet. Oh, yes. No, we're not in Cape Town yet. <laughs> Tomorrow will be in Cape Town. Uh yeah, so I basically got in and flew straight up to Nalspreet, so I'm not 100% with things at the moment. Uh but yeah, still happy to be back in South Africa. And how did you find the conference? Have you got some cool projects coming out of it? Uh yes, there were there were quite a few actually to come out that I'll be included in mostly um 
working on the AGN Continuum projects with Mighty. Um, so I'll be working with quite a few people and I'm very excited for it. So you mentioned uh, you went to the Lindau meeting. Can you tell us what Lindau meetings are? I know you, you mentioned that it was a meeting between 600 students and 14 Nobel laureates in, in physics, I think you said. 40. Four zero. Gosh, that's a lot. Nicole just mimed four zero to me. Didn't you go to one of those Lindau meetings? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I went in uh, 2012 and uh, I think it's every four years. No, every four, I think, yeah. The physics part of the Nobel Prize hosts a meeting every four years. Great. And so what was the most standout occasion for you? Was it really cool meeting the laureates or was, or was it more significant to you to meet your colleagues, uh, the younger scientists? Uh, so it was quite interesting meeting the Nobel laureates, of course. I mean, you have these people that do all these amazing things and you want to know whether they're just ridiculously smart or whether they're just human as well. And you do see quite the human part of it. But more significant to me was meeting other young scientists because these are the people that you will end up collaborating and working with in future or just being perhaps in the same department or working in the same fields. Uh, so I w did connect with some other young scientists. Luckily, we did have quite the code of South Africans, which was amazing. But also there were other young scientists that I met that I might in future be doing some collaborative work with. I think South Africa was one of the hosts of the meeting this year. I mean, I know Lindau is in Germany, uh, but uh, a different country hosts part of the meeting there each year. What, what was that about? Yeah, so every year a country hosts an international day. Uh, this year was South Africa's turn. And basically what happens is the country will host a breakfast and talk about the science that is occurring in the country at the time. Uh, SKA was uh, a big topic, which was brilliant. Uh, and then we have a traditional sort of dinner where traditional South African food is served and we had some cultural performances and we had quite a good few people on the dance floor, which was uh, a first for the Nobel laureate meetings. <laughs> uh, but it was very well received and it was a good time. Well, thank you very much for joining us again, Nicole, and uh, great to catch up and I'm sure we'll catch up with you again soon. Yeah, we got to go on safari again now. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, I look forward to it. <laughs> Cheers. Sounds like an incredible experience. You didn't really ex elaborate on your experience with Lindau. Yeah, so I went to Lindau in 2012. That was the 62nd Lindau meeting. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a really big experience. There was about 500 young researchers like myself there. I was doing my PhD at the time. And there was, I think, 27 uh, Nobel laureates, winners of mostly winners of the, the physics prize, but also from some of the other science uh, prizes, so chemistry and um, physiology and medicine. It was really incredible. There was a big spread of research fields of the laureates, and it was really great to meet them and, and I guess to realise that they're just people. You know, they're, they're really just people like us. And, of course, they were very intelligent and they did really great work, And but they were also lucky. You know, sometimes you just got to be lucky. Yeah. Um, and it was, a, it was a great year because in 2011, so the year before the meeting, Brian Schmidt and some others had won the Nobel Prize for the discovery of the accelerating expansion of the universe. 
And so uh, Brian, uh, Professor Brian Schmidt is a is an Australian astronomer who um, we all knew quite well in the astronomy community. So it was great to hang out with him and he could tell us sort of like a, the behind the scenes of what the laureates were doing while we were uh, doing our own things at the meeting. So that was a really great uh, insight. And of course, just this week, we had the, the Nobel Prizes. That's right. Yeah. So speaking of Nobel Prizes, again, the 2019 Nobel Prize in Physics again went to astronomers. Yeah. Astronomy. We're killing it. (laughs) Well, it's kind of the final frontier of human exploration in in a way. So, Well, don't tell the CERN people that. No, I mean, I'm not saying it's the only frontier. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, certainly there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of new instruments and a lot to be discovered. Uh, So certainly we expect a lot of discoveries to be coming out of astronomy. And... Nobel Prize winning astronomy too. Yeah. yeah. So who won the prize this time and what was it for? Uh, so as always, it seems these days, the, the prize was split uh, between Professor Jim Peebles and two people whose names I'm not quite sure how to pronounce. Uh, I'll give it a try. Uh, Michael Mayor, Mayor uh, and Didier Quelos. So for Jim Peebles, Anybody who studied cosmology will know Jim Peebles. He kind of wrote the book, and that's what he got the Nobel Prize for. Yeah, so you would have used his cosmology a lot in your simulations. Yeah, so uh, what Jim did was he put together the theory uh, around the initial sort of fluctuations in the early universe and how, using that, we can predict how much matter there is, how much dark matter and dark energy. And then that was subsequently observed by the by observing the cosmic microwave background. And those observations matched uncannily well with with Jim's predictions. So he kind of, he did the theoretical framework uh, on which our cosmology still stands. Right, so he predicted that before the observations confirmed he was right. Yeah, and it really matches it un- like incredibly mm. well, uh, the prediction to mm. the observations, not the other way around. We're not, right. ma- we're not making a fit to the observations. The prediction was so bang on that the observations came out bang on it. And the, the other half of the prize? And the other half of the prize went to um, uh, two scientists who discovered the first planet around a solar-type star, so uh, an exoplanet. So they discovered the first exoplanet around a solar-type star, so uh, not a neutron star or something like that. And that basically set off a cascade of exoplanet science. Uh, we're sitting at over 4,000 exoplanets discovered now since 1995, and they're more and more each day so it really has opened up a whole new avenue of science uh, and astronomy and then also other fields so like astrobiology has had seen a massive massive resurgence because of this uh, there's a lot of interest into what what makes life how can life form where can life form we've observed all of these other planets they're all different sizes and masses and you know different atmospheres so we want to know what's what's suitable for life. Uh, it, it may be a bit more complex than just us uh, and just carbon-based life that we have. Yeah, and I, I think we should uh, probably do another episode on exoplanets because this is so interesting. There's so much happening at the moment. Yeah, we certainly should. It's, uh, it's a very exciting field at the moment, and as evidenced by the Nobel Prize. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting that the the Nobel Prizes are still awarded to individuals because a lot of science these days is happening in big teams uh, and groups of people. So I wonder how that's going to change in the future because as we get 
bigger and bigger data sets, you know, you have to work as a team. You can't really, it's sort of very different to in the times of Einstein and other, you know, famous scientists like that, where you could just sort of almost sit in an office by yourself and do the work yourself. Like now we have so much data that we have to work in teams. So I wonder how that's going to change. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to have to think their, rethink their philosophy about the Nobel Committee. As you know, the, there's the Breakthrough Prize, which gets awarded every year. So was, is that breakthrough? Is that for physics? So that's for fundamental physics, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so basically the, the Breakthrough Prize gets awarded every year, but it isn't specific to a single person. This year, uh, we spoke about the Event Horizon Telescope and the, the, yeah. the I- first image of a black hole. Special episode five. Special episode five. And um, I was actually in... In Rome with Heino Falke, who was one of the lead um, authors on that paper, um, or on those papers, when the the Breakthrough Prize was awarded. But that Breakthrough Prize was awarded and split amongst the 350 uh, team members, uh, which kind of makes sense because everybody contributed, everybody did something uh, to make, make this discovery happen. And I think that... Uh, the more we advance with astronomy, the more that's going to happen. Work like gyms is going to be less and less frequent. Yeah. Uh, any sort of big theoretical work even is done in a team these days. So I think that the we will see the Nobel Committee moving towards a, a more team-based Nobel Prize. It It's complex. Mm, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure they're discussing it too. Yeah. And we aren't the first to have this no, idea. No, not at all. So but there, something does need to be done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the whole the whole way we approach science now is is quite different. So yeah, it's a uh, it's it's always good to rethink the status quo. Yeah. All right. So that's the end of our science part of our episode. But we did have a little bit of fun. Oh, we did. Yeah, we had we had a lot of fun while we were in the Kruger. Of course, you can't go to the Kruger without going on safari, on a safari drive or two, which we did. Yeah. <laughs> As a South African, I call them game drives, but okay. Sorry. Okay. Let me start that again. No, no, it's fun. <laughs> okay. It makes more game sense drive. for our international listeners. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and so this was my first time going on a game drive in the Kruger, and it did not disappoint. Uh, tell us about the Kruger, Dan. Yeah, so the Kruger National Park is a it's a massive tract of land in the northeast of South Africa. Uh, it was established a long time ago now. I don't know exactly, but probably over a hundred years ago. And uh, since then, has been largely untouched. So it's 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 massive. It's you know bigger than some European countries, bigger than Switzerland, and all that exists inside of it, other than a few roads for tourists, are animals uh, living in their natural environment uh, of every shape and form. Um, it's it's really quite a special place. Uh, when you drive in, you can drive in for 40Ks, drive up to the top of a hill. Uh, you'll notice I keep saying drive because you can't get out of your car in Kruger. <laughs> no. um, there are big animals and yeah, they will eat you. Yeah, there's big cats. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can sort of drive to the top of a hill and look around and sort of in true Lion King fashion, everything the light touches has not been touched by man. It's it's really quite an incredible place. And yeah, I love it, obviously. Yeah. Listen to me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was wonderful to go on a game drive. It always is. It never disappoints. And uh, I mean, even if you see three little birds, 
I still think it's wonderful. <laughs> so just being in that environment. Yeah. So we thought since the name of our podcast is The Cosmic Savannah, that we would record part of this episode under the cosmos in the savannah. And we take you on a little drive through the Kruger. Yeah, so you can hear you can hear us going on that drive now and you can also hear me losing my absolute mind when I see <laughs> one particular animal. <laughs> so let's have a listen. Hello from the Kruger National Park putting the savannah into Cosmic Savannah. Welcome to the savannah, the Cosmic Savannah. <laughs> um, so we are here, why are we here, Dan? Uh, we're here for work, uh, which is in air quotes, which you can't see. But we, we, we are here for a conference for a few days, but we're also gonna be doing some game drives, which is what we've just started. Yes, we are on a, what's this vehicle Sunset called? Cruise. Oh, it's a game drive vehicle. Get. Basically like an, an open top while back vehicle so you kind of in the open air yeah and it's packed full of astronomers we're just pulling onto the road out from the resort now and uh what happens next oh we'll cross the bridge and look in the river for crocodiles and hippos all right crocodiles okay here's the river i don't see any crocodiles no i don't see any crocodiles either oh there's a warthog yay <laughs> all right so we're through the gate now and we're oh. in kruger proper right now we're in kruger yeah, Dan's got his binoculars. Oh, that's prepared. <laughs> Obviously, come on. It's serious business. We're, we're looking now, really. We're looking for big game. It's not easy. We're not in a zoo. We're not guaranteed to see anything at all, except for maybe Impala. I, say, I take this very seriously. <laughs> okay, I'm understanding that now, all right. <laughs> and we missed uh, what, what our expert guide told us before but his his name is Abel and uh, he said he's very excited to have a truck full of astronomers on board because he, he was talking to us before and he said he's an avid stargazer. Yeah and he's got a certification from the Field Guard Association of South Africa for stargazing so he's 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 not just an avid stargazer but an able stargazer. Fantastic he probably knows more about the stars than we do. Speak for yourself. About the night sky do you know about the night sky? I know a fair amount about the night sky, particularly the South, the South African night sky. <laughs> well, I can't, I can't really say the same. But actually, every time I've been outside uh, in nature since I moved here to South Africa, uh, it's been a full moon. And it was a full moon last night, so you're going to have the same thing again. And there was an eclipse last night, actually, but uh, I wasn't awake to see it. Did you see it? No, I also was not awake. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was fairly late. The maximum eclipse was 11.30 or something. Um, but it was a partial lunar eclipse, which uh, the red sort of moon goes quite red. I think Abel said that he saw it, actually. Yeah, he was doing a night drive, so he got back from their, their night drive at about 10 and the moon was red and it must have been pretty magic. Amazing seeing the lunar eclipse from the Kruger. Yeah. <laughs> Shivers. <laughs> <laughs> There's a baby. Oh, look back, look, look back, look, look, look at the small Baby hyena. There's oh my baby gosh, hyena. it's a baby hyena! Oh my gosh! It's so cute! <laughs> <laughs> see the mum behind it. There's a rhino. Rhino, rhino, rhino. Guys, rhino. Well spotted, well spotted, well spotted. A roadblock. There's elephants on the road blocking our way. The bringing out of elephants with a newly born baby. 
just oh. between them. So they are very much uh, uh, protective when they've got a newly born baby. Mm. So we give them time to, all the time with them, we don't have to rush them out of the road. So she will decide, the, mat the matriarch will decide if she have to give the way now or not. So night is starting to set in on the savannah. We've turned on the lights. So we've, got, we've got big uh, game lights to scan the bush for eyes so that we can try and find which animal owns those eyes. So I guess the light is reflecting off the retina. We saw quite a spectacular sunset. It was very red. Orange, perhaps. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was beautiful. So now we're looking for the nocturnal animals. So there's like a, a day-night switch where the, the whole different group of animals come out at night. They they live in the dark and hunt in the dark. And so we're, we're looking for those now. Still some orange in the sky. And a bat. There's a bat? Look, I can see the first star. It's actually a planet. It's oh, okay. Jupiter. It's Jupiter. Uh. <laughs> you see, this is why I need stargazing lessons. So we've seen so far a, a warthog, a hyena baby and a mother, uh, elephants, zebra, impala. A rhino. Oh yes, a rhino, a white rhino. Giraffe. Um, kudu. No, we didn't see a kudu. We did see a kudu. A bush buck and the little one. Uh, a Wow, we've just turned off the lights and the moon is rising and it's orange, bright orange. It's incredibly beautiful. This is the real cosmic savannah, hey Dan? Uh-huh. take a photo. It's a hippopotamus. So they're nocturnal, nocturnal grazers, so they come out of the water. The constellations are coming out. Okay, I think overhead. There is Scorpio, yeah. Yeah. and Jupiter is just next. That, that's what I know is above yeah. us. And there is Mars, just uh, just be, before Jupiter. Um, oh, I can see Scorpio. It's huge. This Sagittarius. We need radio. Yeah, that's Mars. This is Taurus. There's Boots, and then uh, that's uh, Corona. Yeah, that's Corona Borealis. Oh, it was such a good experience, that safari. Sorry, that game drive. Uh, I did miss your joke about Abel being an able stargazer. Did you? <laughs> yes. Oh. I listen, now that I listen to it again, oh. I, I appreciate it. It's genius. Yeah, no, I'm so witty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a super fun drive and we saw quite a bit, but you went on another drive the next morning yeah. and saw some even cooler. I went on a sunrise drive and I didn't take the recorder with me, which I really regret because it was so incredible. We saw about 10 to 15 lions on uh, there who had caught a giraffe. So they were sort of feeding on the carcass of this giraffe and there were um, hyena and uh, vultures everywhere around the area waiting for the lions to finish so that they could, they could also feed. And then later we saw a leopard, which is extremely rare, um, one of the most elusive animals to see. Uh, and then we saw another leopard, and this time it was up a tree and it had a, it had a kill. It had killed a, a buck or a, an impala. An impala. 
and he was trying to find a branch to drape it over because, you know, this impala is heavy and uh, it couldn't find one. So it came down out of the tree and then a hyena ran in and stole the stole the uh, the. The impala. the impala from it. And then, yeah, and the leopard had to just run away and escape because otherwise the hyena pack would attack it. It was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound incredible and I wasn't at all jealous. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's uh, those sorts of sightings and I've had them before. It's It really is an incredibly special thing, not something you can capture with a recorder or with, even with a camera. Uh, it's something you have to come here and experience and it's it's very, very special. Well, next time we'll have some more stories from our travels uh, and in particular my trip to the Vatican Observatory, which was very interesting. Yeah, you spoke to someone very interesting there. Yeah, the director, so we'll (laughs) save that for next time. Yes. Um, But that's it for today. Thanks very much for listening again and we hope you'll join us on the next episode of The Cosmic Savannah. You can visit our website, thecosmicsavannah.com, where we'll have links related to today's episode. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Cosmic Savannah. That's Savannah spelled S-A-V-A-N-N-A-H. Special thanks today to Professor Ramil Dave, Professor Leritori Liao, and Nicole Thomas for speaking with us. Thanks to Mark Olnott for music production, Janis Brink for the astrophotography, Lana Serai for graphic design, and Tabisa Fikalepi for social media support. We gratefully acknowledge support from the South African National Research Foundation and the South African Astronomical Observatory to help keep the podcast running. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to help us out, please recommend us to a friend. We'll speak to you next time on The Cosmic Savannah. Welcome to The Cosmic Savannah. With Dr. Jacinta Del Hayes. <laughs> really? <laughs> I didn't I didn't I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know if you had changed it. Maybe you thought uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>